Turn to First Thessalonians chapter five. These are short books. Easy to miss when you're turning the pages. This is just one of many passages in the Bible where we are commanded to give thanks to God. And if you go and you read the Psalms, Lots of places in the Psalms where that's a command. If you go back to various times uh, in the history of Israel, you see the work of praise and thanksgiving that they do, for example, when they're saved uh, as they exit Egypt and they cross over the water on dry land. And then the Egyptian army is destroyed when they try to do the same. And how do the people respond? They respond by giving thanks, by writing songs of praise. And we're told to sing songs of praise. We're told to give thanks to the Lord. Um, And this continues into the New Testament. And here in 1 Thessalonians 5, we see the command to give thanks connected with a few other things. And so, since it's coming up on Thanksgiving, we're going to look at this passage. And we're going to see how it's possible for us to give thanks in spite of difficulties, in spite of sorrows, why it's necessary for us to continue giving thanks and what other things go with thanksgiving. So please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Thessalonians 5. Be reading verses 14 through 18. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The call to give thanks to God is a command that's given to everybody. This is not a command that is limited to particular groups of people or to particular 
times, as we see, it's in everything, give thanks. And yes, this letter is written to the church in Thessalonica, and in, in that regard, it's written to us as the church. <clears throat> but it's true that everybody is commanded to give thanks. But in one particular way, and it's the most important way, in one particular way of giving thanks, only those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ can even give thanks. The thanksgiving of those who have believed, those who have by faith put their hope in God's Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of their sins. That is the greatest thanksgiving. And that's why you see the Israelites writing songs of praise in the Old Testament. It's when we are saved by somebody that we are most thankful. Right? It's when, it's when we are uh, rescued out of danger that gratitude and thanksgiving well up within us. Relief at what hasn't happened that could have happened, right? And so speaking in a, in a non-spiritual way, this holds true. <clears throat> uh, that sort of emotional welling up of, of relief and gratitude and thanksgiving uh, when you get pulled over and the police officer doesn't give you a ticket, right? You know he could have given you a ticket, but he doesn't give you a ticket. What are you? You're thankful. Why are you thankful? Well, because the bad thing that could have happened didn't happen, and you're thankful particularly to the police officer, right? I was not thankful this week when he didn't give me a break, but he gave me the ticket. That was me receiving what could have come, the bad thing that could have come. And so I spent the next half hour irritated, right? Instead of thankful. When we're saved from things, we understand gratitude in a way that uh, we don't typically in our day-to-day life have quite the same kind of understanding. Uh, It's when we face things that are in the middle of the disaster or danger. It's at those times where most clearly we look to God. If you've heard the uh, if you've heard the saying that there are no atheists in the foxhole, it's a, ref- it's a reference to the fact that in war, when people are shooting at you, that's when you begin to pray. You pray to God and say, God, please get me out of this, right? 
And so we know that the more intense the danger, the more severe the situation that we face, the more quickly we go to God in attributing things to Him, the more quickly we go to God in uh, prayer, the more quickly we look to Him for thanksgiving, or, or to give thanks when, when disaster is averted, right? And so, <clears throat> when there's a terrible car accident, and you're reminded that God is sovereign, and you're reminded that His hand of protection is what keeps us alive throughout each day. When you walk away and your car is absolutely obliterated, you're not thankful to the car manufacturer. You're not thankful to the National Transportation Safety Board or Bureau or whatever it is, right? Who are you thankful to? You're thankful to God for protecting you. And maybe you're thankful to your mom for teaching you to wear a seatbelt, right? But it's, it's at those times that, we're, that we most quickly, we most clearly see that God is sovereign, that God is the one with whom we have to do. And so everybody is commanded to give thanks to God. But only Christians can truly give thanks for the ultimate salvation. The salvation that comes only from God. The salvation from our sins. That is when the Christian truly becomes thankful. Thankful the way that we're commanded to be. Up until that time, yes, you can, you can be thankful. You can be thankful to all kinds of people. You know, when you get your grammy, you can thank your parents, and you can thank your producer, and you can thank whoever you want. And yeah, you can also be thankful to God. But you'll never have the kind of thanksgiving that is commanded here until you're saved from your sins. And the reason is because that's the greatest disaster. No other disaster, no other danger comes close to the disaster that comes because of our sins. No other danger comes close to the danger of hell. That is an infinite sorrow, an infinite fear, eternity without God, eternity in suffering and misery and punishment, eternity of despair, and despair greater than any despair you've ever faced in this life. 
When you get saved from that, being saved from a car accident doesn't even compare. When you get saved from that, your gratitude can't help but be overflowing. Your thankfulness can't help but overflow into praise, into singing. It's the kind of thing that you jump up and down for joy for. Now, here's the difficulty. The difficulty is that, of course, there is still mourning. There is still sorrow, right? And so, when we're commanded here, in everything give thanks, how do we make sense of giving thanks in a time of sorrow? How do we give thanks when we're also, yes, we see the gift that God has given, but on the other hand, we also have not fully received it yet. We have not, we have not gone to heaven. And so here in this world, there is still much sin. There is still much sorrow and pain. There is still the hurt that you cause to others and that others cause to you because of sin. Well, the answer to that is that we do not mourn as those who have no hope. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. Now, when I say mourn, you can, you can think about losing a loved one. You can think about the uh, bad relationships that you have or the people who have hurt you. You can think about all the things that make you sad in this life when you don't get to go to your friend's house or when your dad takes away your cup from you this morning. That's what was making Eliza cry. And, you know. So there are, there are little things that make us sad and there are bigger things that make us sad, right? But, but we, we still have this mourning. We still have all kinds of things that are, that are sorrowful to us. But earlier in this book, 1 Thessalonians, just in the previous chapter, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, we see this statement that we don't mourn like the people who have no hope. Now, who are the people who have no hope? Those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ have no hope. Their ultimate destination is hell. And so, they can look at being hopeful that, that the things in this life are good for them. And in that case, the best thing to do is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But when you take into consideration eternity, that becomes foolish counsel. Because it's hopeless counsel, right?
Now, <clears throat> here's where the world looks at Christians and says, you guys are absolutely loony. Christians still die. Christians still get hurt by other people. Christians still end up getting in car accidents and not walking away, but being in traction and then being in a wheelchair for the rest of their life. Christians end up being persecuted. Christians end up with all of these bad things happening to them. Isn't this proof that you guys are just stupid? That there is no hope? And of course, that's that's really the, the only way for a non-Christian to look at Christianity. If there isn't an ultimate hope beyond this life, then what Paul says in Corinthians is, we are of all men most to be pitied. Now, why are we of all men most to be pitied if it's not true? Well, because what you ought to be doing if it's not true is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. That is what you should do, because that would be the most sensible thing if Christ has not raised from the dead. And so, when you begin to face real suffering in life, the unbeliever looks at you and says, curse God and die. Curse God and die, like Job's wife. But here's the thing. The very definition of, of being a Christian is one who has placed their hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is that fact that gives us hope for the fact that our suffering will come to an end just as Christ's suffering came to an end. That death is not the end but that there is eternity afterwards. First Thessalonians 4.13 says, We don't mourn as those who have no hope, no hope for an eternity in Christ Jesus. And the very next verse says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. That's our hope. That's what, ultimately, we are thankful for. Everybody else who doesn't have faith, and that may include some of you here today, everybody else God calls 
to faith and repentance so that they can give thanks in everything. And you can still give thanks to God. You can give thanks to God for your life. You can give thanks to God that He's been merciful to you, that He has not given you what you deserve. But ultimately, the moment you begin to the moment you begin to pray, the moment you begin to actually think about God giving thanks to Him, you're going to be pushed either to put your faith and your hope in Him or to become angry and bitter at Him. You can't love God, you can't be thankful to God, and then not accept His greatest gift the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Prayer is central to thanksgiving. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Why is prayer central to thanksgiving? Well, to start with, because if we're talking about giving thanks to God, that, that, is, not a, um, that is not a feeling. Gratitude is a feeling, right? Relief is a feeling. Joy is a feeling. Giving thanks is an action that flows out of your joy, that flows out of your gratitude. I want to turn to Romans and read a few verses from Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do any of you know what the next verse is? Some of you are reading along, so you know. <laughs> and we know, Romans eight twenty eight, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If things, by God's power, work together for good, then we are able to give thanks no matter what that thing is that God is working for our good. Right? If we can see that it is working for our good, then we're able to give thanks, even if it is something painful, even if it is something sorrowful, even if it is something that we would 
not have chosen on our own to go through. And do you see how prayer leads right up to that? We must see that when we are weak and don't even know what to say while we're praying, that the Spirit groans in prayer on our behalf, asking for exactly just what we need. And so we can praise God at that time. We can give thanks to him at that time. Knowing that even when we don't know what to ask for, that when we say to God, God, I don't even know, I just don't even know. I don't know how to face this. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. I don't know what you're trying to do. Help me. It's at that moment when you don't know what to pray, when you don't know what to say, that the Spirit is interceding and asking for what? For exactly what you need. And he will work it for your good. And how can we respond in any other way at that moment except for to be thankful? Be thankful that he intercedes for us. Be thankful that all of these difficult things that we're going through, that he is working them for our good. Be thankful that he's in control. Be thankful that we can turn to him in those moments when our perfect words leave us. That we can turn to him at those times where we haven't been holy that day. When we most realize how little we deserve him hearing us in prayer. The only other option is to become angry at God. Anger, of course, is the opposite of thanksgiving. Anger is what I was struggling with with the police officer, right? Why? Because it's the opposite of thanksgiving. When people do evil things to us, what are we to do? And that, now, the police officer giving me a ticket was not evil, okay. just to be clear. <laughs> but people do do evil things to you, right? They gossip and they slander and they make fun of you and they hurt you. Unbelievers will seek to persecute you. And here, in the text that we've read this morning in 1 Thessalonians, we see the answer. When people do evil things to you, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to repay evil for evil? No. What are you supposed to do instead? You're supposed to seek good for them 
and others, and all people. And then what does it say? Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Rejoice always, that's verse 16. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. And 18, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And the this refers to those three things together, right? All three of those things go together and are immediately after how we're to respond when somebody does evil. Responding that way requires the kind of perspective that I was talking about that believers have and that unbelievers cannot have. It requires an ultimate perspective, one where we remember that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. So it's ultimate in, 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 in a lot of ways. It's ultimate in the fact that we're looking to the future, we're looking to heaven, and so therefore we're able to give thanks. But it's also the kind of perspective that reminds us that we also are sinners, that we also once were the evil of this world, those who were persecuting and those who were committing these deeds against God and his people. And as soon as we see that, we have that in our perspective, then again, what do you do? You can't help but give thanks that God has saved you, rescued you from that. Looking forward to heaven is, yes, the ultimate perspective, right? But the only way that that makes sense is in the context of what we were, what we have been saved from. And the moment you see what you were, you respond not with anger, not with evil for evil, but you respond with compassion. You respond seeking the good of those people, that they may also repent and believe by faith for the salvation of their souls. Do you believe? Do you believe that God's promise of a future with him for all eternity is true. We've been memorizing this week John 14, 2 and 3. What's it say? Jesus says to his disciples, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the promise. Is it not beautiful? Is it not something to give thanks for?
So why do I say that the other option is anger? Well, because in spite of that good promise, we still have the current life and its sorrow and its suffering. It's sin and the effects of sin, the ravages of sin. What causes the whole world to groan awaiting that day when Christ will return and make all things right? And so even as Christians, even as those who put our hope in Christ Jesus, even as those of us who ought to have this eternal perspective, we are going to face times where we're tempted to say what God has done has not been for our good. The situation that we're facing is not according to his promise. And then to become angry. To become bitter. What are those kinds of situations? They're the kinds of situations where you're in deep pain. How can this be good? How can this be good for me? And Satan begins to whisper, Has God actually said? Has God actually said that it's good for you to be miserable for all eternity? No, God hasn't actually said that. <laughs> That's twisted. Well, you're going to be miserable for all eternity, and he says that it's good for you. No, I'm not going to be miserable for all eternity. Well, your husband whom you love isn't going to be in heaven. You're going to be miserable for all eternity. Your child might not make it to heaven, so you're, you're, you could be miserable for all eternity. These are the kinds of doubts, the things that cause us some of the biggest pain. Or physical suffering. Back pain that goes on and on and on the sorrow of losing a loved one. These are the times when we face the temptation to say, no, this isn't good. This isn't good for me. This can't be good for me. It can't be producing anything good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purposes. <clears throat> God has made a mistake. And those are the times when we become bitter. Those are the times when we become angry. And again, it's the only reasonable thing for a non-Christian to do. But for the believer, for those of you 
who have put your faith in Jesus Christ. This cannot be our response. Because it's to reject, to become angry at God is to reject the hope that is in Christ Jesus. It's to say that God's promise isn't true, but that Satan's lie is true. Now, I know that some of you become angry, and then you say, well, I'm not angry at God. I'm angry at uh, myself. I'm angry at other people. I'm angry at the situation. I'm not angry at all. I'm just irritated. That's me. That's what I say. I'm not angry. I'm frustrated. I'm just frustrated. Frustrated with what? The situation. Just frustrating. Yes, it is. Yes. Are you trusting God? That's what you've got to ask yourself at that point. Are you trusting God? Do you believe His promises? Believing his promises doesn't require denying that there's pain. It doesn't require denying that there is frustration, that there is sorrow. Believing his promises says, yes, this is, this is a broken world. This is a, a messed up situation. This is a sorrow. This is a pain. But I rejoice. I give thanks because I have hope that this is not all there is. I have hope. I believe that when God says He is working this for my good, that He is actually accomplishing good in me, for me, and through me. And so as we go to Thanksgiving, my exhortation to you is not to ignore all of the things that can get in the way of Thanksgiving, but to give thanks in everything. To give thanks for the work that God has given you to do among your family. To give thanks that your work is hard. What we want to do is complain that our work is hard, right? But that's that right there, that's faithless. Why has God given you hard work? If you are a believer, He has given you hard work for your good, right? Isn't that what we saw in Romans? Give thanks for the discipline of the Lord. And what does he promise concerning his discipline? That it will never, that it will, that it will never be painless. Because <laughs> all discipline is painful, is what he says, right? For the moment. But he also promises not just that it will be painful, but that it will, in the end, produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so we give thanks.
for God's discipline. We give thanks. Do you have little? Give thanks that God has given you the opportunity to learn contentment. Are you suffering at the hands of evildoers? Give thanks. How can I give thanks of them? Well, Acts 5.40. Turn there real quick. Some of the apostles have been arrested for preaching. And they're trying to figure out what to do, and Gamaliel stands up and gives them counsel, and here's what it says, Acts 5.40. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way, verse 41, they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been released. Is that what it says? No. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Not what we would rejoice at. Not what we would give thanks for at the time, right? Not unless our perspective is changed to one where we are able to give thanks in everything. And so this Thanksgiving, don't, don't ignore those things, but give thanks in them. This Thanksgiving, don't let it be a celebration that is just a fun time to get together and eat, but actually give thanks. This Thanksgiving, when you face sorrow, when you face pain, when you've got hard work, your perspective has to be one that's faithful, believing the promises of God. Your perspective has to be one of gratitude because He has saved you. Let's pray.